So all right, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. So I mentioned we have one more challenging topic to cover today in light of this series on sexuality, singleness, and marriage. And I'll go ahead and let you know that you're going to wonder, what does this topic have to do with what we've seen in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7? Because this topic is not mentioned anywhere in these chapters. But I knew months ago when we were looking at this series that we needed to talk about this topic before moving on in 1 Corinthians because for far too long we have had a far too narrow view of this topic. We failed to see how it is completely intertwined with what we've seen in God's Word on sexuality and singleness and marriage. And in recent months, going back a ways, I've been praying through this topic in particular because I am convinced that we as a church God's calling us to do much more on this topic than we have ever done before. And the topic is abortion. Now, as soon as I say the word, much like other words we've discussed in this series, I know that people's minds and hearts start going in a variety of different directions. First and foremost, I want to immediately say to anyone who has had an abortion or supported an abortion, some of you who have been forced to have an abortion or abortions by others, I want to immediately say to you what I've said when it comes to other issues we've discussed recently. My only desire for you is to apply the healing balm of the gospel and God's word to any wound in your life. I pray that you will genuinely feel the love of God for you in a fresh way today. At the same time, I assume that there are some listening today or who will listen to this in the future who are considering an abortion. Research shows that almost half of people who get abortions are professing Christians. There's one conversation in the lobby in between our gatherings with someone who is here today and had an abortion this last week. So... I don't presume to know what's going on in every single person's life who's listening right now, but I do want to ask you, and I've prayed as we walk through God's Word in the next few minutes, this might be the means by which God leads you to, to give birth to that baby in a way that that child can thrive in abundant life, either under your care or someone else's care, and that you might be able to thrive in abundant life. So other people hear the word abortion and you think, why are we talking about this political issue? And specifically this political issue that's prominent in one party or one type of person. And I would simply say that first, this church is definitely not about one party or one type of person. I hope we have shown and will continue to show that we care about all kinds of issues across the political spectrum to the extent that the Bible speaks to those issues, from issues of race to refugees to religious liberty to sexuality to abortion, because these things are biblical issues far before they're political issues. We're a Bible church, not a this or that party church. We love coming together under the banner of the Bible, which means that when God speaks in his word, we 
listen and we speak as the church. We don't say anything less than what the Bible says, and we don't say anything more than what the Bible says. And we're committed as leaders in the church to not being selective about issues that we address based on any political ideology. And today we are recognizing how God has clearly spoken in his word about the value and the beauty of every child he fearfully and wonderfully forms in a mother's womb. And the value and the beauty of that mother and that father who come together to create that child, which is why we're addressing this topic in this series. So what I want to do today is to build on past sermons when we walk through God's Word. So we're not going to be walking through texts like Psalm 139 and others that show the biblical perspective of abortion. So just to kind of make sure we're all on the same foundation without diving into all of things we've walked through before, real quick, foundation we're working with from the Bible. One, God creates every child in the womb from conception, and he loves them so much. Which means, too, that abortion is a sin against God and the beautiful work he is doing in the womb a sin that not only affects that child, but affects that mom and that dad. Which means that three, we as God's people must work to care for every child in the womb and every woman and man involved in that child's story. So if you have any questions about those truths, I would point you to mclanebible.org slash sexuality. We have links to a variety of resources from the series there, including on this issue, pages of past sermons that show a biblical perspective of abortion, a perspective we desperately need to see and hear, be continually reminded of in our culture. So on top of all of that, today we're asking, what does abortion have to do with sexuality, singleness, and marriage, and the gospel? And the answer is everything. Sexuality, how we view our bodies, and every other person's body from the very beginning as loved and cherished by God. Singleness, which we talked about last week. Did you know that 86% of abortions in the United States happen among single, unmarried people? There's an unmistakable correlation between sex outside of marriage and abortion, which means if we're going to address abortion, we must focus on God's design for sex and marriage between a woman and a man. So that and a man part, contrary to popular talking points on both sides of this debate in our culture, abortion is not just a woman's issue. Research shows that the person who will have the largest impact on a woman's decision to have or not have an abortion is the father of that child. Meanwhile, most conversations about abortion focused almost exclusively on a baby and a mom, totally ignoring the dad in the process. Sexuality, singleness, marriage between a woman and a man, all these issues relate to abortion. Do we really think it's a coincidence that the so-called sexual revolution of the last 50 years in this country has been accompanied by the abortion of 60 million children? Do we not see that the more we have decoupled sex from marriage, motherhood, and fatherhood, the more 
we have aborted babies. And do we realize then what this means? It means that working to end abortion politically or materially or otherwise while ignoring marriage, singleness, sexuality in the gospel biblically is like working to end cancer while ignoring smoking, excessive sun exposure, or poor eating, no exercise. We may be laser focused on finding a cure, but even when we do, people will still be getting cancer at the same rate. They'll come back with another case and another and another because we've ignored critical issues that cause the problem in the first place. And we haven't even mentioned other issues that we must be serious about addressing if we want abortions to stop. Issues like poverty, abuse, drug use, trafficking, many other factors that lead to abortions and factors that will affect lives once a baby is born. Surely our desire is not just to see babies born, only to leave them and their mom, dad in the middle of situations that were leading them to abortion in the first place. It's a cop-out to say, I'm against abortion, so I do this politically, while we ignore countless issues at the root of abortion. And most importantly, I haven't even mentioned the core issue, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's love that alone has the power to change people's hearts and lives and relationships. Surely our desire is not even just for a baby to live. If so, we've missed the heart of Jesus. Our desire is for a baby to thrive and a mom to thrive and a dad to thrive. And thriving like that is only possible by the power of Jesus' love in people's lives. Which comes back to why we're talking about this as the church today. So our mission as a church, we talk about it all the time, is to make glorify God by making disciples of all the nations. Well, I want us to see it's how disciple-making and working for unborn children and their moms and dads with unexpected pregnancies go hand in hand. So I want to introduce you in just a moment to someone. His name is Roland Warren. He's the president of CareNet. So it's a national organization that our Loudoun location actually shares offices with that oversees a network of over 1,000 pregnancy resource centers in our country. I had an opportunity earlier this year to speak to, well, to virtually, to all of their leaders and all thousand plus of their centers across the country. And they asked me to share on the importance of proclaiming the gospel in the middle of their work, which of course I was glad to do. I'm zealous to be a part of a holistic vision for life that prioritize, prioritizes proclaiming the gospel along with making disciples. And over time, I've gotten to know Roland and been so sharpened by him. He's, he's a sharp thinker, graduate of Princeton and the Wharton School of Business at Penn. But more than that, after he and his wife, before they were married, faced an unexpected pregnancy and made a decision not only to have that child, but then to give their lives working for other children and moms and dads like them. And he's now done that for decades. And he's helped me to see these unmistakable links in even greater ways between abortion, sexuality, singleness, marriage, making disciples with the good news of God's love. So I asked him if he would be willing to come today and share from his perspective based on God's word, 
which I know is driving everything this brother does. He's led CareNet to move from what they call a pro-life message to a pro-abundant life message based on Jesus' words in John chapter 10 that you have in front of you. And it just so happens that in God's providence, this was our Bible reading yesterday. That I didn't plan. That's just straight from the Lord. So I've asked Roland to unpack what these words mean. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have a life and have it abundantly. This is Jesus saying why he came. Have abundant life, make abundant life available to us in a world where there's a thief that wants to steal and kill and destroy. And I've heard Rollins say there are fatal flaws in the way that Christians and churches think about abortion limiting our thoughts to the political realm and political actions, which you'll hear from him, are certainly important, but are woefully incomplete because there is so much more that God has called us to do, specifically as the church, to see women and men facing pregnancy decisions transformed by the gospel and empowered not only to choose life for a child, but to choose abundant life for themselves and their families. This is what we want to be about especially as we think about sexuality, singleness, and marriage. So I'm going to invite us to hear from our brother, then I'm going to come back and, and close with a call for us to action. So NBC family in this room and at other locations, would you join me in giving a rousing welcome to Roland Warren. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor David. It's a blessing to be at McLean Bible Church today. It's great to be here. When I, when I speak about this issue, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. Um, and uh, I endeavor to uh, set people's minds ablaze without setting their hair on fire, which is a, a delicate task with an issue like this. You know, a couple of years ago, I uh, had an opportunity and privilege to speak to a group of pro-life pastors in Texas, I started my presentation by asking them, how many of you became pastors because you wanted to overturn Roe v. Wade? No one raised their hand. So I asked, how many of you became pastors because you wanted to end abortion in your lifetime? Still, no hands. So I asked one last question. I said, how many of you became pastors because you felt called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples for Jesus Christ? And guess what? Every hand shot up. Discipleship. It's the great mission of every God-honoring pastor and member of a vibrant church because it's the great commission of Jesus Christ. The New Testament tells us that Jesus chose 12 disciples. Indeed, discipleship was so important to Jesus that his last words before returning to heaven were a call to make disciples. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So, each of his initial disciples, with the exception of Judas, made disciples who then made disciples who then made disciples, and the gospel of Christ transformed the world. Therefore, I submit to you that if we want the church to do the good work of making abortion unthinkable in congregations and in communities, abortion must be viewed primarily as a discipleship issue. Now, Christians don't have a challenge with that about, you know, 
poverty or nakedness or thirst. You know, water for the thirsty, food for the hungry, clothes for the naked. We have no problems with seeing those issues through the lens of discipleship. But compassion for the pregnant, we do. Now, now you might be saying, well, what does discipleship have to do with abortion? Well, isn't this really a material support and political problem? The most common objection I hear to viewing abortion as a discipleship issue is that our focus as pro-life people should be on meeting the immediate needs of a woman facing an unplanned pregnancy. So we say, you know, she might get distracted by a presentation of the gospel. We might even risk alienating the people who we seek to help. Don't we need to just give them material support so that they can choose life? Now, while this approach may appear to be expedient, for Christians, it's insufficient. As you heard, John 10.10 says that Christ said he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And when you look at the, the word life, there are basically two ways of viewing that word in the Greek. One is bios, which is where we get the word biology, and the other is zoe, which is connected to our relationship with God. It's a unique type of spiritual life that only comes from our relationship with God. So when Christ said, I, I, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly, he is speaking in terms of both bias and Zoe. In a sense, he is saying that I have come that you might be heartbeats that are heaven-bound. Heartbeats that are heaven-bound. Indeed, Christ came to give this kind of life to all, both inside and outside the womb. And that's why when folks ask me, am I pro-life? I say, no, I'm pro-abundant life. And I'm pro-abundant life because Christ was pro-abundant life. Christ was pro-abundant life. You see, you can be an atheist and be pro-life because then you're just, you're solving for a heartbeat. It's God honoring as that is, but that's more of a transaction. But you can't be an atheist and be pro-abundant life because you're not seeking heartbeats that are heaven-bound, which is transformational. You see, Christ always cared about transformation. Indeed, Christ's call is to come as you are, but not to stay as you came. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So then, how can we leave those considering abortion where we find them spiritually? You know, Planned Parenthood and the other abortion providers, their sign on the door says, thank you, come again. It's kind of a retail transaction. At CareNet Pregnancy Centers, and certainly at churches, our door can't have that sign. We don't want people to come again as they were. If they do return, we want them to return not to be served, but to serve others. And indeed, we, we also don't want, to, want them to, to risk abortion again and, and, and then also to have the same choices that led them to abortion in the first place reappear in their lives. And we certainly don't want to see their children in the same circumstances. Pro-abundant life ministry has to be transformational, not transactional. And as Christians, we know that lasting transform, transformation only comes through a relationship with Christ. Now, you might ask, well, what about the politics? I mean, isn't abortion primarily about overturning Roe v. Wade? And, and isn't that what we should be focused on? Shouldn't that be the goal of the pro-life movement? You know, for decades, pro-life people have marched and rallied and campaigned and voted for pro-life candidates to state and federal offices. Decades have been spent trying to get the right judges on the Supreme Court so their role could be overturned. These efforts have been necessary and noble and have produced some excellent bills at a state and federal level that have limited the impact of abortion. These pro-life legislative and political endeavors are part of a 
process, right? They're part of being faithful to God's call on behalf of the oppressed. Governments have the power to kill. When a government becomes unjust in the use of its power, its first victims are the most vulnerable. Remember, the the Nazis also went after the infirmed, the handicapped, and the elderly. Why? Because they were the most vulnerable in the society. As pro-abundant life people, and as Christians, we cannot ignore the political realm. Our God is a God of justice and mercy, so when our government is unjust and unmerciful, we must act. However, We can't allow our engagement in the political realm to cause us to think that our primary calling is political. You know, often when I ask Christians if they're pro-life and they say yes, the next thing they tell me is who they voted for. Why? Because they're missing the point that our primary calling is to make disciples for Jesus. They're viewing the life issue primarily through a political rather than a discipleship lens. So I point folks back to the story where Jesus was handed the coin and asked about taxes. His response is connected very much to the issue of abortion. He said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar and unto God what is God's. And what did Caesar care about primarily? Well, he was concerned about the material and the political. But Jesus said that we are to have a higher calling, that we're called to the higher things of God, to be, to be disciples and to make disciples. But here's the thing. You can't be a disciple maker without providing material support. 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet chooses to close his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? In other words, you can't be a disciple or a disciple maker without caring for the material needs of others. And the same is true in the political realm, from a political engagement perspective. God is involved in the setting up and the tearing down of kingdoms and the lifting up and the making low of rulers. The Bible says that the government will be on Christ's shoulders. So as followers of Christ, we can't be disciple makers without political engagement because we're called to hold those in political power accountable to protect the vulnerable. But again, as Christians, we must never put our primary hope in political engagement. We have a higher calling. You see, if we don't address the reason people have a desire for abortion, then just overturning Roe v. Wade won't fix the problem. In fact, when and if Roe v. Wade is overturned, there will still be sex outside of marriage. There will still be unplanned pregnancies. For example, we did a national survey and we talked to women who had had abortions and we asked them who was the most influential in her decision to abort. And guess who it was? It wasn't her mother. It wasn't her best friend. It wasn't Planned Parenthood. It was the guy who got her pregnant. It was the guy who got her pregnant. And as you heard, 86% of the women who have abortions are unmarried. Therefore, how can we end the abortion crisis without strengthening marriage? You see, as pro-abundant life, people, you realize that this issue is not just about the sanctity of life. It's also about the sanctity of marriage and family and God's design for it. I mean, consider the birth of Christ. You know, Mary faced an unplanned pregnancy from a human perspective. But what did God do to make sure that Mary's unplanned pregnancy wasn't a crisis pregnancy? Well, he sent an angel to Joseph and called and challenged him to be a husband to Mary and a father to the child growing inside of her. 
In fact, it was the very first thing that he said. He said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your what? Not your baby mama, your boo, your wifey, your wife. Very first thing that he said. So should we not have the same call to men today? Why? Because we know that when a man steps up as a, as a husband and a father, that the woman is more likely to give the unborn child bias, life. And, and even when that's not possible, we still want to help that woman and that man reconnect fatherhood, motherhood, sex, and marriage, and God's design for those things so that she doesn't become a repeat client, so to speak, at a pregnancy center. And so he doesn't replicate his behavior either. And don't we want those values to be communicated to their children? And yet, in large measure, for over 40 years in the pro-life movement, we've largely neglected this aspect, this God's design for family linked to God's call to discipleship perspective rhetorically and programmatically. Karenet does not. You see, it's not just about saving a baby, as, on, as God-honoring as that is. It's also about raising a child and breaking the intergenerational cycle of abortion, father absence, and single mother homes. Indeed, I grew up in a single mother home, and I know how difficult this can be for mothers and for children. So should we stop opposing Roe v. Wade? Of course not. We press on with our legal attacks on Roe, but we don't make overturning role the goal of our movement. It's simply a tactic to ensure that every person, whether born or unborn, has the opportunity to experience abundant life found in Jesus Christ. As I've observed the last 48 years of the pro-life movement, I see so many things that are worth celebrating. I see lives that have been saved. I mean, CareNet's network of amazing pregnancy centers, 1,100 plus, has saved over 823,000 lives since 2008. It's amazing. I see people working in communities and churches to mobilize around those at risk for abortion. I see the abortion rate declining and popular opinion turning, particularly against second and third trimester abortions. These are all great victories. However, I also know that as many as 2,500 unborn babies will lose their lives to abortion daily. These unborn children need more than laws to protect them if they are to have abundant life. They need men and women whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, ready to disciple any parent considering abortion before and after the abortion decision. People who will provide compassion, hope, help, and discipleship. That's the role of the folks in this house, regardless of who's in the White House. One day, Jesus took his disciples to Mount Hermon. The locals believed that this mountain contained the, the, a passageway into hell itself. Pagan worshipers would feast and drink and engage in all kinds of immorality there. God-fearing Jews would never even venture near the place. Yet this is precisely where Jesus led his disciples. In the face of this evil, Christ promised that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. He wanted his disciples to know that all the evil of that mountain and the immoral, immoral behavior that it represented could not resist the power of his church. Gates are not offensive structures. They're defensive. They don't move. Christ's clear implication was that his disciples, that's you and that's me, were to be engaged in an offensive combat to literally tear down the gates of hell, brick, by brick. Abortion is a Mount Hermon in our culture, a proverbial gate of hell that's waiting to be torn down. But the church's primary weapon 
to defeat the gates of hell is our love for our neighbor and our call for the Great Commission. We must never render unto Caesar what is God, and our God is the giver and sustainer of life. When you have this perspective and you see a woman who's facing an unplanned or difficult pregnancy, your first thought is not what material support or who you're going to vote for, as important as these things are. Your first thought is that she needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ if she's not. The child growing inside of her needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. The guy who got her pregnant needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. We need to, we need to have God's design for family and try to build towards God's design for family. You view this through a discipleship lens. So the abortion issue is not just something outside the church, but it's connected to the core mission and the ministry of the church. Is that how you think about it? You see, Jesus had two types of ministries, a retrieving ministry and a receiving ministry. We see the retrieving ministry first when he called his disciples. You, with the net. You, yeah, you. Drop the net. I want to make you a fisher of men. You, up the trees. Zacchaeus, come down, come down. We're going to do a power lunch. We see his receiving ministry in the case of the woman with the issue of blood. She touched the tassel of his garment, and he lovingly received Interestingly, abortion is an issue of blood, of flesh and blood, her flesh and blood, his flesh and blood, it's bloody. It's an issue of blood. But here's the thing. If a woman who attends church wakes up Sunday morning and takes a pregnancy test and it's not good news, will she think that she will be stoned with condemnation in her church? Or will she think that her church would treat her the way that Jesus treated that woman? He said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. In other words, sister, come as you are, but don't stay as you came. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Further, who is she going to talk to? Typically about nine days from the time the woman confirms her pregnancy until she schedules and sometimes even has her abortion. There's only one Sunday in there. She's got to know beforehand where her church stands. We did a national survey, and we, we found out nearly four out of ten women who had had abortions, were attending church at least monthly at the time of their first abortion. This is a huge problem in the church. We are funding the thing we're protesting against. You see, this is what's happening in our churches. See, our churches need to have a tassel ministry that she can touch and someone designated and committed to love her. These women need to be received. If not, Planned Parenthood looks like a compassionate alternative to us. And what about the women and men that are reached and connected with through the network of pregnancy centers and in our community? There needs to be a ministry on-ramp between pregnancy centers and the church so that they can be transitioned to the church for ongoing support and discipleship. So that they and their children become disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. They need to be retrieved. That's why Karen had developed Making Life Disciples, a ministry resource that equips the church to offer compassion, hope, help, and discipleship to women and men considering abortion both inside and outside the church. It's about mobilizing small groups. You see, a lot of Christians are in small groups. But often our small groups are about us loving us. What if our small groups became about us loving them? What if your small group got trained so that you could come alongside someone facing a pregnancy decision? 
and help them become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Life decisions need life support. They may want to have the abortion because there's shame and they don't understand how to work through that. Well, have you ever had shame in your life that you've worked through? Or he's running from fatherhood because he didn't have a father. He's terrified. Or she can't get to her prenatal visits. Or they don't have a place to live. Or they've been married. I mean, they've been dating for a while and living together, whatever. And they, they don't know about marriage. And you've been married for 20 years, 30 years. Will you walk alongside a couple? Will you walk alongside a father? Will you walk alongside a mother? See, when you start to think about the issue as a discipleship issue, see, you understand that this just isn't about our treasure, but it's about our time and our talent. It's discipleship. In any case, I encourage you to visit makinglifedisciples.com, makinglifedisciples.com, or Karenette's website, and you'll hear all kinds of stories of Christians just like you who are coming alongside folks and making a difference in this issue and doing what we're called to do. You see, when you start to view the life issue as a discipleship issue, you see how important this perspective is in stemming the tide of abortion. Why? Because it addresses the demand side of, abortion, of the abortion issue, even if the supply side is still there. Even if abortion's legal, for women and men who make life decisions because we loved and supported them at their desperate time of need, it's unthinkable. They're transformed, amen? And you'll be, be transformed as well. You will see those facing unplanned pregnancies as a mission field. And as a disciple maker, maker you will help women, men, and their children, both born and unborn, have bios, which is physical life, and zoe, spiritual life. This is the life that Christ lived and died to give them. See, if you transition from being pro-life to being pro-abundant life, you'll start to see this issue very differently. Amen? Thank you very much. Roland, that was a lot packed into a few minutes, and I've spent many hours with Roland, and there's so much more he could share. Uh, and you go to that sexuality resources page, you'll see a variety of resources along those lines. Uh, praise God for 800,000 plus lives saved through the work of these pregnancy resource centers. So I want to follow up what Rollins said, shared, by saying to us as a church that together we are going to step into a more comprehensive ministry that intertwines our mission to make disciples with caring for the unborn and women and men in our city. By God's grace, there have been things going on, but it's time to take those to a whole another level. We are not going to settle for simply thinking that voting this way or that way is what God has called us to do. We're going to spend ourselves caring for pregnant women and men in the church and across this city, especially in a culture where abortion is becoming so much easier to do, even through pills, amidst a medical community here in our city that will encourage you to abort your child at the first sign of a genetic challenge. We're discarding kids with disability in our culture as 
inconvenient to us. As a church family with all kinds of children with special needs who we love and treasure, God, help us to show that every life, every child from the start is indeed fearfully and wonderfully made by God himself. So here are a few specific actions that I want to get us started by challenging you to consider. And I say consider because I am not saying that every member of our church family should do all of these things. I don't have a verse I can point to that says you must do this. And so I want to be very clear about that. At the same time, I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider these things as the overflow of God's word. It's just four things. And there are countless things you can do that need to be done. So maybe it spurs just thinking in other directions. But in light of what we've just walked through, here are four I would mention today. One, consider going through making life disciples from Kiernat. So I've started going through this. Roland and Kiernat created this entire curriculum that I would encourage some of you individually, some of you as couples, maybe in your group, to go through. Basically takes what we started talking about today to a whole other level and intertwines disciple-making. Like we can talk about a thousand pregnancy care centers and praise God for them and all that they're doing. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. But there are 400,000 churches in our country and millions of followers of Jesus if we were serious about integrating disciple-making with care along these lines, it would have a huge difference. So, Roland, over and over again, has said, we just want to serve the church, help the church. And so this is a resource that can be helpful toward that end. Second, consider serving at a pregnancy resource center. So I had a meeting this last week with leaders of CareNet centers across our city as part of thinking through what, what more can we do as a church. And these leaders are amazing. I, well, one of them told a story, one who's down in the district. And uh, she told a story about one of their volunteers who, uh, this just happened over the last couple of months, so just really cold days outside. One of their volunteers is out on the sidewalk outside a, uh, an abortion clinic and it's really easy to get an abortion in D.C., which means people from other states actually travel to our city to get abortions. And there's a woman from New Jersey who had come down to get an abortion. She's going to this abortion clinic. There's a volunteer standing outside in the bitter cold. Strikes up a conversation with her before the woman, before she goes into the clinic, and says, hey, I just want you to know there are other options, and I would be willing to walk with you to think through those kind of options. And so the woman she was talking to said thanks and goes into the abortion clinic. Well, when she gets in there, she starts thinking more about the conversation she just had. And after her appointment in there, she says, I'm not going to do this today. She walks back out, takes a beeline to this woman standing in the bitter cold on the sidewalk and says, will you help me? And this woman takes her to the pregnancy care resource center. And they start talking, and this volunteer and another volunteer get in the car with her, drive her themselves back to New Jersey. I should mention, the abortion clinic had actually paid travel to come down to the clinic, and had paid to put her up there. 
they get in, these volunteers get in the car, drive her back to New Jersey and help her get connected with a pregnancy care center and a church there in New Jersey. And this woman's now gonna have her baby. So it's, it's one thing to, yeah, yes. Let's, uh, let's march once a year and then let's stand on sidewalks week after week after week in the bitter cold and love people. So consider serving in a pregnancy resource center. I pray that the fruit of this sermon might be hundreds of people from NBC uh, flooding pregnancy resource centers with requests to volunteer. Third, consider foster care or adoption. Knowing there are a variety of circumstances, factors, that might lead a mother to not be able to care for her child. So we as the church want to come alongside her and to care for that child. There are so many children in need. And I pray that NBC will be continually marked by a care for orphans according to God's word. I'm, I'm not sure if you followed news along these lines recently, but there's been much political discussion about Christian adoption agencies and LGBTQ couples. I won't go into all the details there, but I will suffice to say that if we as followers of Jesus believe that an orphan needs both a mom and a dad to care for them instead of two moms or two dads, then moms and dads in biblical marriages need to step in and care for them. If we don't, who will? So we have another foster care and adoption class starting online in a couple of weeks. You can find information about that at the sexuality resource page. And I would just say personally how thankful Heather and I am as we continue to go through this, uh, this next adoption process that we've been in. And I'm so thankful being out at Loudon and PW the last, I was out there last Sunday and just numerous people, like first question asking me, hey, how's your son? Any word? And we're still waiting. But I just want you to know it's really good to have a church family praying and walking with and waiting with you in that process. So God may not lead you to foster or adopt. I don't believe he's calling everybody to foster or adopt, but Consider how you can support families in this process. God has designed his church to care for children in need, to care for orphans. That's what he's designed us to do. So let's do what he's designed us to do. And the final step I would encourage followers of Jesus to take may be the most significant of all. And I'm actually not going to use the word consider with this one because I've got a verse for this one. So here it is. Make a disciple in this city. Share the gospel with somebody in your sphere of influence or through local outreach that we have going on all across the city. Lead somebody to Jesus, to abundant life in Jesus. This is how we will ultimately affect change in the city and our culture, by leading people to life in him. Make a disciple. And don't just do this on your own. Get involved in church group. Or you can come alongside others, singles, other married couples, together grow in Jesus. This is the goal of our groups. Care for each other like family, grow together in Jesus, make disciples together on mission in the world. And along those lines, invite and welcome and then support single parents in your groups. Let's surround single parents as the church and their kids with groups that are loving and caring for them. 
And let's be a place for women and men with unexpected pregnancies to have a home and a family to walk through that with, without shame. This person who shared in between services just saying, I just felt so ashamed. There's no shame here. We love you. God loves you. We want to be a place where people are running to the church, not to an abortion clinic. Which leads to where I want to close in particular. I mentioned in the beginning that if you are considering abortion, please reach out to us. Please, please, please call the church. Reach out to a pastor. Reach out to me directly. David.Platt at McLeanBible.org. We want to walk with you. There's no shame here. We want to walk with you. We want to care for you. We want to care for this beautiful baby within you. And if you have had an abortion, please know that through faith in Jesus, God forgives entirely and he heals deeply and he redeems fully. This church has many women and men who have walked that road and who have seen that the theme of this series is true. God is absolutely able to turn brokenness into beauty. We actually have an abortion recovery group that is continually ongoing. That tassel, to use Rollins' language, is available. So you can find out information about that, again, for women and men at the Sexuality Resource page. We want you to know you are loved here. Many people who walked through that have gone years, and nobody, nobody else even knew about their abortion, but it's, it's been something in their own heart they've been dealing with on their own, and so we want to walk through that with you. Which leads to the ultimate invitation I would give to everyone listening today who has never experienced the love of Jesus in your life, never placed your faith in Jesus for abundant life. I have good news for you. The very next verse in John chapter 10, verse 11, says, I lay my life down for the sheep. And the good shepherd, the whole picture is God, who we have sinned against and separated from. God has done the unthinkable. God has come to us in the person of Jesus. And he has paid the price for all of our sin, all of our shame. So that when we trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us and his resurrection from the dead, we can be forgiven of all of our sin, wiped clean of all of our shame, restored to relationship with God, to have eternal life with him, brokenness to beauty. That's available to anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you have ever done. Abundant life can be yours in Jesus. And I want to invite you to receive that life in him today. So I want to lead us in prayer along these lines. And then I've asked Farah Wu, who for, well, for years, she and her husband, Chung Wu, have been making disciples as a part of this church family. And then a couple of years ago, when we were walking through God's word on abortion, Farah, God spoke to her heart, and she took action flowing from that day and began getting involved in abortion recovery, uh, helping lead abortion recovery groups and equating caring for women 
and men with unwanted pregnancies her and her husband both and serving alongside uh, men and women when it comes to this issue as they make disciples and she has impacted together they have impacted countless lives even in just the last couple of years so I asked Farah to uh, lead us in prayer specifically in light of all that we've seen today not knowing what what stories might come like Farah's story a couple of the next couple of years as a result of what God by his spirit is speaking to hearts right now so will you bow your heads with me as you bow your heads close your eyes I just want to ask you one fundamental question first do you have abundant life in Jesus if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, then I invite you just right now where you're sitting just to say to God in your heart, God, I want abundant life. And I know, just to say in your heart to God, I know that I have turned from your ways to my own ways. I've tried to do life my own way. But today I believe that Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for my sins. He rose from the dead. I believe, John 3, 16, you so loved me that you gave your one and only son that through believing in him, I might not perish but have everlasting life. So you just pray, say, God, forgive me of my sin. Today I put my trust in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I trust in Jesus for abundant, eternal life. And when you do, and for all who have, let's join together in prayer in light of what we've just walked through in God's Word as Pharaoh leads us now. <clears throat> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you because you're worthy of all praise and worship. Oh Lord, you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. God, you are our salvation and only in you do we trust. We praise you as you are our strength and our defense. Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. Lord, thank you that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just and forgive our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I ask for forgiveness for those who call evil good and good evil, those who put darkness for light and light for darkness, and those who are wise in their own eyes. Lord, please forgive the doctors and the staff in the abortion clinics who believe that the unborn is just a clump of tissue that can be aborted. Oh Lord, I pray for their salvation. Please bring them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and break away their chains. If only they knew the truth, if only they knew that all things are made through you and that you are the creator of all things that you created mankind in your own image, that before you formed us in the womb, you knew us, that we are valuable for you, even from conception. If only they knew of your great mercy and a living hope that's available only in Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. 
Lord, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but you have come that we may have life and have it to the full. You are the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens and the earth. We are also the work of your hand. Thank you that before you formed us in our mother's womb, you chose us and set us apart to serve you. Lord, thank you for the unborn. Thank you that you have formed their inward parts, that their frames were not hidden from you when they were being made in secret, intricately woven and knitted together in their mother's womb. Wonderful are your works, O Lord. Lord, I pray for women who are contemplating abortion. Lord, we don't know their circumstance, but you do. Lord, it is a broken world and our hearts break for them. Let them know that you see them, that they're not alone. Lord, thank you that when we are in trouble and cry out to you, you save us from our distress. As the good shepherd that you are, O oh Lord, please hold their hands and guide them to seek counsel, such as at a Christ-honoring pregnancy center before they make any decisions that can affect them for the rest of their lives. And for those who are post-abortion, please give them reassurance that there's help for them, that they do not need to uh, live in guilt and shame. Please remind them that in you, O oh Lord, there's no condemnation. Please, Lord, let them know that you are their helper, that you never reject them or forsake them. Lord, you're Yahweh Rapha, God the healer. Lord, I have seen so many women who go through the post-abortion recovery class and have been transformed and have been healed by your Holy Spirit and your inerrant word that is a bomb for our hearts. And Lord, help the women who've gone through abortion to forgive themselves just as you forgave them in Christ Jesus. Lord, please help us not to condemn or judge women who are either contemplating abortion or have had abortions. Lord, help us to be kind and compassionate to these women. Lord, help us not to pass judgment on one another and be stumbling blocks or obstacles for our brother or sister. Lord, only you are the judge and only you can pass judgment. Lord, thank you that you did not, you did not save your, uh, send your son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And Lord, thank you that you are so kind to listen to our prayers. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.